You're listening to Fit Girl, your guide to getting in shape, the podcast dedicated to helping you separate fact from fiction in fitness. Stop struggling and learn what really works to get the body you want and keep it. For more details about this podcast and other episodes, visit fitgirlpodcast.com. And for more information on programs and downloadable workouts, visit fitnessmakeover.com. This is podcast episode number 253. In this episode, three myths I still hear about squats. Who is the most important person you need for support? And here's a hint, it's not who you think. And nutrition questions and answers. When I started this podcast in 2007, the real reason was because I kept answering the same questions to the members of my gym repeatedly. And I thought it'd be easier just to put it all in one spot. And the majority of these questions had to do with myths and things that people are still holding onto as truths when in fact they've been dispelled for many, many years. So one of those is squats. And there's a lot of different myths about squats, but I'm gonna just narrow them down to about three of them. I'm a big believer in doing squats because they are so important to everything we do every day from sitting down to go to the bathroom to just sitting in a chair. And they also work every single muscle in your body and even your cardiovascular system if you're doing sets that are either with minimal rest or maybe 10 repetitions. But either way, you do something that's where you're really challenging yourself and pushing, you'll see how cardiovascular can actually be. Now, some of the issues that people have with squatting is because they're using poor technique. And that's a whole nother story, but there are also people that just have it set in their mind because they hold on to these myths that they can't squat, they won't squat, and you know they think that they have to do everything on the leg press machine, and that's as good as it's gonna get. So hopefully you don't hold these myths as truths, but you know you might have friends or other people that say that they are. So I'm gonna give you the um, actual myth and then I'm gonna give you the reasons why it's not true. Now the first myth is that squats are bad for your knees. And well, as we're gonna find out, that's completely untrue. Now, personally, my knees always crack. They always have, they always will. Whenever I bend them, they crack. And I've noticed that since, I don't know, back when I was in kindergarten, because I remember we used to go to the library and I was afraid to bend down to pick up a book because my knees would crack and it would make a lot of noise. So I've never had any pain associated with this noise. It just, it's just something that happens and it's just what they do. And yet, whenever people hear my knees crack, they just automatically assume that it's from squatting. Oh, you do so much squats, that's why your knees crack and you know that's why it's so bad. And it's just like, you know what? It's just something I was born with. It doesn't bother me. It just happens to make noise. And that's kind of one of my pet peeves when people try to diagnose things when they do not know the history of a person. Because as we know, there's a lot of things that might look good on the outside, but they might not work right on the inside and vice versa. So you know, don't judge people based on just a little bit of knowledge. Okay, back to our topic. Squats are not bad for the knees. In fact, studies continually show that squats actually improve knee stability. And in doing that, they help reduce the risk of injuries. So when you think about it, yes, squats should be good for your knees because you do them all the time. If you don't do them right, then yeah, you're gonna hurt yourself. And that's true in daily life or in the gym. 
And even the National Strength and Conditioning Association reviewed research and data and published a whole position paper suggesting that regular squatting not only reduces the rate of injuries, but it also reduces recuperation time from injuries that might occur. In my experience, injuries tend to be more from real life activities and overuse and even neglect, of course, muscle imbalances come into play too. But anyways, it's usually not the actual activity of squatting in the gym that hurts people. As a matter of fact, most people get hurt outside the gym and then they turn around and blame it on the gym, which makes no sense, but that's a whole nother subject there. So when I'm working with the client, yes, I do make them do squats in the beginning because it tells me so much about their body and their history. And I can quickly assess their structural imbalances and potential issues, um, if not from injuries with the knees, but possibly the hips or the low back. And sometimes there's tightness there and so many different things that you can tell just by how someone moves through a squat. And it's always funny because sometimes I think I have like a crystal ball um, because I tend to be accurate by about identifying certain injuries they've had in the past based on how they move, even if they haven't told me about them. And there's several common structural imbalances that really impact the health of the knee. And sometimes we have to strengthen those weaker stabilizer muscles before we can actually start doing the core workout of squats, lunges, you know, things that most people want to do, even leg press. Okay, when I said they want to do, what I meant was they really want to get stronger and lose weight and you have to do those exercises. Not that everybody's lining up to do them and all excited about it because I know a lot of people don't like it. But like anything else, once you get better at something, you tend to like it more. Or if you understand why you're doing it, you tend to like it more, at least just put up with it. But anyways, since we're all ultimately training for a healthy body and for longevity, a few weeks of working on some of these smaller forgotten muscles are definitely worth the time. Okay, so let's say that you're at that point where you're ready to start doing squats or lunges or anything that has that same motion. And let's talk about the form. Now, this should be obvious, but nothing seems to be obvious anymore. So I'm just gonna make sure we cover it. When you are squatting, you don't relax at the bottom of the squat. You don't bounce. You don't do anything weird at the bottom of a squat. And you do want to go as low as possible. Now, some people can go what they call rock bottom where your butt can actually touch your heels or your ankles or some lower appendage. Um, but some people can't. Some people are just not flexible enough to do that. But there's a difference between squatting as low as you can versus stopping at a certain point. So you're always looking to squat through the greatest range of motion you possibly can. And of course, you already knew that you keep all of your muscles tight and activated, especially at the bottom of a squat. Now, sometimes we do pause at the bottom of a squat, but that doesn't mean we've, we are relaxing the muscles at all. We are actually keeping them tense and tight and activated. So a pause is not the same as just rocking out at the bottom or relaxing at the bottom. Now, the other reason why you wanna go as low as possible is because it activates more of the glutes and hamstrings. And those are the things that help to stabilize and strengthen the knee. So all of these muscles are meant to work together. So if we're just doing one part of an exercise or we're just doing one part of the range of motion, you are not gonna be strengthening the muscle. You're actually gonna be making it weaker in certain ranges of motion. And that's gonna set you up for some sort of injury that could happen pretty easily even when you're just out grocery shopping. 
a lot of people will only squat to 90 degrees and that's not good either. That actually puts a lot of sheer force and stress on your knees. So for people saying that they only squat parallel to the floor because that's safer for their knees, they're actually completely wrong because it's actually putting more stress on the knees. So by enabling your body to go all the way down, you're incorporating glutes, hamstrings, and quads. By only going 90 degrees or parallel to the floor, you're taking away the glutes and the hamstrings, which are the power muscles, the ones that are really meant to lift your whole body, not the quads, because they're small, and you're not allowing the muscles to work together like they would in everyday life, which puts you at the increased risk of injury doing your regular daily activities. Another thing that studies have shown is that squatting below parallel actually increases the stability of your knee. So in addition to the other million reasons why you should be squatting, keeping your knees safe and strong is one of them. Another myth about squats is that the Smith Machine squat is safer than doing regular squats. Well, sure, the Smith Machine might be good for some things, but it does not replace a free weight squat. Using the Smith machine for squats completely eliminates the stabilizer muscles, which is why you can use so much more weight on the Smith machine than with free weight squats. But this comes at a dangerous price because if your stabilizer muscles are not used in their given range of motion, then they're going to weaken. And if they're weak, then obviously you set yourself up for injury, not only in the knees, but also in the hips and the lower back. It's already been shown in numerous studies of ACL injury recovery that the quads and the hamstrings are both important stabilizers for that knee joint. So when we're training them, we really don't wanna isolate them as much as we want them to learn to work together with all of the other muscles. Many times when I see people on the Smith machine doing squats, they're usually holding themselves straight up and down or vertical, and that actually minimizes the involvement of the hamstrings. And they're also sometimes leaning back against the bar, which may be more comfortable for your back than actually having a bar on it as you would for a free weight squat, but it's still not a good idea because that also reduces the involvement of the hamstrings. And as we're starting to learn that the hamstrings are very important, not only for your lower back, but also for your knee stability. So anything we can do to train them directly or not, is gonna be a huge benefit to your entire body working properly and staying injury free. Another reason why this is really crucial is that your hamstrings and quadriceps are supposed to work together. You have the quadriceps as extensors or something that straightens the leg and then you've got those hamstrings as flexors which bend at the knee. So if they're not working together like they're supposed to, you know, the seesaw or the yin and the yang, then obviously there's gonna be issues that can arise. We talked about earlier how the stabilizer muscles are taken out of the equation when you're using the Smith machine, and that's because the bar is on a track and you're not allowing those muscles in your whole body to go through a normal range of motion. You're, you're actually going through the Smith machine's range of motion, not your own. And where that can also give us issues is when we convert that strength or movement or whatever you're doing into real life, especially if you're involved in sports, that whole three-dimensional aspect is now foreign because you were training on something that wasn't the three-dimensional. So it's going to cause problems with sports performance. And, and that brings us back to the fact that squats are great for sports performance, but really only when they are done with the free weights 
that mimic that sport's performance and allow the whole body to work together, stabilize your muscles, core, everything, so that your body's actually ready for whatever it's going to be subjected to, whether it's sports performance or daily living. Although there are a lot more myths about squats, I'm just going to go over one more, and that's that squats are bad for your back. And again, not true, because if you're doing them with proper form, you're actually strengthening your back, especially your lower back. But a lot of people aren't flexible enough, or they haven't learned the proper form, and they end up tipping forward, and that puts, puts the excess stress onto your lower back. Um, another thing that a lot of people do is they'll use a padded bar or towel or something around the bar to make it more comfortable on their upper back. And what this does is it actually pushes the bar a little bit away from your body and changes the angle of the weight on your spine. And that right there can cause some issues. So if you're not comfortable with the weight on your back, then you really need to lighten it and start practicing so that you can get it right in that part of the traps that it's meant to be. So it'll hold there and be, well, comfortable as much as you can have something comfortable on your, on your back, but of course not on your neck and not halfway down your back. So that's another case where something that's made to supplement or allegedly help make something easier is actually making it worse. So do your best to stay away from using those types of padded things that you put around the bar because those can actually do more harm than good. The other thing that goes with flexibility, that would be in the ankles. If you're not flexible enough in the ankles to go low, then you might find that your heels pop up and your body kind of leans forward. And then in order to correct that, your body actually has to kind of straighten out the spine in a very awkward way. And again, that's putting stress on the back. And that's not really the squat that's doing that. It's actually the poor form. So like anything, there's a lot of exercises that are very good exercises, but there's a lot of things that, that can go wrong. So getting somebody to help you who really knows what they're doing and can definitely pinpoint any issues you might be having with your range of motion or weakness in certain areas of your body is going to make a big difference in the long run because you don't want to keep doing bad habits that are going to set you up for an injury on down the line. You know, you want to make sure you're spending your time doing things properly so that you're actually not only getting the maximum benefit, but you're really making yourself stronger in the way that you're supposed to be and that you want to be for the health of your joints and your muscles and everything in your body working the right way. And I don't know if you can hear this or not, but my, my dog, bless her heart, is in the room and she's snoring so loudly. Um, so it may or may not pick up, but if you hear something weird in the background, that's definitely what it is. In motivation, we're going to talk about the most important person you need for support. Now you might think that's yourself, but it is in a way, but it's not exactly the answer I was looking for. Um, remember last episode, we focused on where to go to look for people that would help support your goals and, and help make them a reality. And of course, I'm guessing that you did that, right? Because you want to support yourself and your goals, right? Who doesn't? Uh, but in case you didn't do that part yet, take a few seconds to think about who might be there to support your efforts towards whatever goal you think is worthy and that you want to accomplish. And maybe you can think of people or organizations or clubs or some different aspect to help yourself get support. Now, based on that, think really hard about this next part. Think about who 
is the most important person to help you reach your goal. Okay, so remember, I already told you the answer is not you. Of course, you are going to be supportive of yourself, but we're also looking for that outside objective person um, to help you. You know, somebody that can give you some honest answers or some um, honest constructive criticism that maybe you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. And this person may be a friend, maybe a relative, maybe somebody you haven't even met yet, or maybe even someone you follow on social media or someone you want to, to meet that could help you. Um, that's why people have coaches. Coaches will give you that objective opinion, will help to give you that instruction that you need to take the next step to where you want to go, whether it's athletics or life or just anything in general, having, having that coach there is the thing that sometimes drives us to the greatness that we can get to, but can't necessarily do on our own. So take a few minutes to think about all the people that you feel can help you achieve your goal and think about who might be the most important? Is it somebody who's been in your shoes before? Is it somebody that um, has already displayed the right path to achieve something that you want to achieve? And then think about what you could offer in exchange to get this person's help so that you can actually get to your goals much faster. Now, sometimes it's as simple as, well, you hire them and you pay them X amount and they work with you on this day and that day. But sometimes it's just as easy to barter with people, um, you know, exchanging goods and services because sometimes you have just as much to offer as someone else. And your area of expertise may not necessarily be in the thing that you want to accomplish, but it might be something that is important to this other person. You know, maybe you're a fabulous cook and you've got somebody who has done competitions, but they don't like to cook. And maybe you can exchange you know, their advice and coaching for you making them meals or you showing them how to make meals or whatever the case may be. Never underestimate the actual talents that you already have yourself. And no matter how you find this person, it's very important to know what your expectations are for the relationship. And you need to tell that person or group what you expect to get from them. You know, if you expect that, that really hardcore advice, um, if you expect them to be nice about how they give you some troubleshooting tips or whatever, um, you have to tell them what your needs are so that they're not guessing. And in that case, they can truly help you. And the only person that can start these wheels of motion, whether it's towards a goal or for support, is you. Now, if you didn't do the brainstorming from the last podcast, then go do it now. And then think about who might be the most important person to help you achieve your goal besides yourself and what you might have to offer them in exchange for either some advice, constructive criticism, or just that attaboy, you know, kind of support. And I know a lot of times people don't stop and sit down and write all this stuff out, but you really should. It really does you a world of good to write it down, maybe even put it away for a day and then come back and reread it. Sometimes you see things in a whole new light. I always get lots of questions about nutrition and it's great to keep sending them to me because it's still one of those things that a lot of people have the same question. So the more I can answer it here on the podcast, the more people I can help. So again, send those questions in if you have, but in my years as a trainer, and I think I just added up, it's like 35 years. I know since I was born, maybe 
well, anyways, um, I always get the question, I don't know where to start. You know, how do I know what to start with my eating? I think it's healthy. I don't know. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Um, so I'm going to kind of tell you how to start. The best place to start is where you are right now. Start writing down what you eat, when you eat it, and then I know it's tedious, but get some sort of thing to help you calculate how many grams of protein, grams of carbs, grams of fat, calories you're intaking. And of course, using an app or something like that makes life a lot easier. But that's the best place to start because from there, you can determine basically, are you getting enough of any one nutrient? Are you getting too much? Um, and how to balance it out. And then you can track not only your food, but also your feelings, you know, so are you low in energy on these days? You know, maybe you work better with less carbs. Maybe you work better with more carbs. Um, everybody's body is the same, but different because all of our activities are going to be drastically different and the way our body processes things will be drastically different too. So the best place to start is getting your meals scheduled. So whatever your meals are going to be, you know, obviously you need to calculate out based on your age and activity level and a whole bunch of other things. And that's where your apps are more apt to help you out with that just because it's a generalization. It's not going to be perfect for your actual uh, body and metabolism, but at least it's again, a place to start because you need to know where you're starting in order to move forward. And by moving forward, I mean, making adjustments to what you eat and when you eat and what the balance is. So ultimately we're looking for meals that have proteins, carbs, and fats. And then depending on what your goals are, some are going to have more fat, some are going to have less fat. The amount of protein that you're going to have is probably going to be the same for the majority of when you eat, not necessarily the majority of people though. So again, figuring out how many grams of protein you need. And usually if you have your lean body mass, I know a lot of people don't, but basically if you're a woman, just figure anywhere between, I don't know, 80 to 120 grams of protein per day. And for a man, probably like 120 to 170. And again, that's a real big generalization because it's going to make a difference uh, depending on what your body fat levels are and all that kind of stuff. But again, giving just a range, just like you are starting with your calories, because you might write out your calories, calculate them up and realize that you have been so low in the amount of calories you're taking in that it's a wonder you're even functioning. And as soon as you start adding more balanced meals or just adding more feedings during the day, your metabolism can just take off. And all of a sudden you've got more energy, you're dropping weight, you've got more strength. I mean, and everything is great. So it's not always about restricting your food. A lot of times people I work with don't eat enough. And that is the biggest problem. Um, the other biggest problem is they think they're eating healthy and they're not. So until they start writing it down, they have no idea. You think you can repeat everything in your head that you ate yesterday or the day before, but what about last week? You know, what about four days ago? You, you really can't. So again, putting it on paper is something that kind of really gives you an objective look at what you're eating. You can kind of like step out of yourself and be your own coach. You know, like that, that person that you just found out about in the previous segment. You can be your own coach and say, hey, you know what? This is not enough meals during the day or I'm going too many hours without food um, or my meals are mostly fats and there's like no protein in my diet. I mean, these are things that are glaringly easy to see once you start 
writing down what you're eating and when. Now, this may sound kind of harsh, but if your body isn't changing or it hasn't changed in six months or a year and you think you're doing everything right, then the answer is one of two things. Either you're not doing what you think you are in terms of your workout frequency and intensity, or you're not doing what you think you are in terms of food intake, meaning substance and timing. You know I always advocate about keeping a workout log and that's why the same thing applies for your food so you can analyze it. So if you fall into that, I've been doing all of it perfectly and I still don't see changes, then something is not right because you're probably not being 100% honest with yourself and writing down is going to be a real eye-opener for you. So do it for at least three days. I mean, four or five days is much better to get a, a good idea because um, not every day is the same in terms of our schedule and what we end up eating or not. But like most things, if you don't have a plan for what your meals and your snacks are going to be, then you're planning to fail. So everything can't be haphazard. If you're trying to maintain, then fine, you can catch things on the fly. But if you're really trying to change your body or get through a plateau, then you do need to know exactly what's coming in. You know exactly probably what kind of exercises you're doing. So you definitely need to do the other side of it because it is true when they talk about getting in shape being 80% diet and maybe 20% workout, it's, it really is true. Um, you can bust your butt in the gym, but if you're not supporting your body with the right fuels, you're not gonna see any results. And yes, of course, at fitnessmakeover.com, there's different consultation programs I have to deal with this. Um, but a lot of times you need to start by writing it all down. I mean, if you hired me, I would tell you to do that anyway. So start there and start analyzing it yourself and see if you can figure out where your glaring mistakes are. Um, like I said, once you write things out for a couple of days, it really becomes obvious when you look at it on paper. You'll find that you skip meals a lot or you overeat at night or whatever the case. And then that also makes it easier for you to fix some of those problems. Like, okay, if you're munching at night while watching TV, well, what can you do with your hands instead? Or what can you munch on that's not going to be detrimental to your diet or to what your goals are? So again, simple solutions can come just from writing it down. And one last thing, I've been doing a lot of work on getting the Strong and Powerful podcast ready and getting all of the uh, Fit Girl topics ready to go. So if you haven't signed up for the first notice at Strong and Powerful, do that because that podcast is going to be coming out very soon. And there's a few new workouts at quickfitclub.com that you might want to check out. And if you haven't signed up for that newsletter, do that. Because basically what I use those for is to send you out notice when there's something new. Um, there's really not a whole lot as far as emails, um, just, you know, when something's exciting and new. And there's also a few new shirt designs. Um, I can't remember if they're on Etsy, Amazon, or eBay, or the website, or all of the above. But anyways, if you check them all out, you'll find them and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, you can either search for Fit Girl um, on eBay, I think, and Strong and Powerful Brand on Amazon or just go to fitnessmakeover.com and click on shop or apparel, one or the other. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. 
If you'd like additional information on these topics and more articles on health, nutrition, and motivation, visit fitnessmakeover.com, allinoneworkout.com, or coachkira.com.